Welcome to season two of Matt Make Zack Watch Horror Movies. Now you may notice a drop in audio quality compared to previous episodes. You see, Matt has fallen into the twilight zone and can only communicate through the ether. But frayed not, dear listener. You are still in store for all the same dreadful jokes, eerie impressions, and terrifying trivia. So, sit back, enjoy the show. Listening to DJ Terror on Radio Slasher. Good news, listener. George was a good boy and found more tapes. <laughs> yes, George, you've earned a coupon for one good head scratch. Don't spend it all in one place. This recording was dated September 13th, 2020, where the boys were joined by the encyclopedia of film himself, Andrew Koch. This app, I would like to redeem head scratch. George, you're going to make me go psycho. <laughs> <sighs> Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to Matt Makes Zach Watch Horror Movies. I'm Matt. And I'm Zach. And this week we were joined by a very special guest to make Zach watch a horror movie. Hi, I'm Andrew Koch. So I've been wanting to have Andrew on for the longest time now because Andrew's an old coworker of mine and he mentored me a lot. He taught me everything I know about video editing, filming, and he'd spend many, many nights just teaching me everything there is to know about film history because the man knows everything. So I'm very excited we could finally have him on. Oh, thanks. Wow. Thanks for having me. And Andrew, if you want to tell the people who you are and what you do. Okay, well, my name is Andrew. I uh, I edit videos for a living. Uh, I work for a school system and I uh, I make grad videos, marketing videos, and uh, just uh, lots and lots of stuff. I know you have infinite knowledge in films, but what's your like, <laughs> background with horror specifically? Ah, uh, well... One of the things was I was I studied film in school and uh, my senior thesis, oddly enough, was on Psycho. Um, we had a class that was Vertigo and Psycho, and we basically spent the whole semester analyzing these films. That's so my cool. seat, my senior <laughs> thesis was actually comparing Psycho to the original Cape Fear, which came out two years after Psycho, um, because basically Cape Fear the director was trying to make a Hitchcock type movie. And so the whole idea was I was basically trying to figure out what makes Hitchcock Hitchcock and how do his imitators not quite get it. So I buried myself in psycho for a whole semester. So that was, so I'm really excited to be talking about this. Man, did you talk about that Matt on our Cape Fear episode? I did not. <laughs> so it's like either we, we were did. talking we were talking about the remake in my defense. No, yeah, so. yeah. I'm just, I'm just like, wait, did we talk about that and I forgot, or is that news to me? The the I writer of did not know that. <laughs> the writer of Cape Fear was Robert Block, who I believe oh. wrote the original yeah. book. Yeah, he wrote for the novel. Cycle. Yeah. So, and I think uh, Lee Thompson, the guy who directed Cape Fear. He, I think he actually, that was part, I could be wrong with this. I think he actually wanted to get, it's, it's been almost 20 years since I wrote this paper. So I'm, I'm doing this from memory, but <laughs> I think he actually wanted, he's like, I want to make a Hitchcock movie. So I'm going to get like, I'm going to get the guy who wrote Psycho. I'm going to get like, he like tried to get people who work with Hitchcock to make a Hitchcock movie. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great movie, but it, it definitely. But it's not Hitchcock. It's yeah. not Hitchcock. That's, that's right. <laughs> Man, it was so like. Other than Psycho, what was like some of the first horror movies you saw that like really made you appreciate horror? Hmm. I was actually kind of scared of horror movies as a kid. And I, my parents were kind of overprotective. They wouldn't let me watch a lot of like R-rated movies. So I, I did a lot of catching up when I was in my 20s. 
And I think it was just in college, I just started watching these. And I thought the thing that I thought was most interesting was the horror movies are the most cinematic because they have all like all that symbolism and crazy shots. Horror just goes for it. And well, yeah, it's, uh, it's also so often like that, that thing of like, oh, well, this is going to be my calling card so I can make other movies later on. So I'm just going to put it everything I want to try. Yes. It's so cool. I think that's one of the reasons I liked seeing um, uh, Get Out. It was like, it's a horror movie, but it's got all that kind of stuff that I love about horror movies with the you know symbolism, social commentary, all this stuff, you know, just really interesting stuff. And I think that was sort of, I just, I think that's what draws me to uh, the horror genre. It's just lots of just Thanks. really interesting cinematic stuff. I think you're our first guest too that like, didn't grow up watching horror movies or like found a love for horror at a young age because so far it seems like every single guest has like been like oh yeah i like remember watching this certain horror movie as a kid and being scared but like also wanting to watch more oh yeah no i i hadn't seen i think the the the, the horror movie that i think i saw as a kid that it was on tv and it scared the crap out of me was called the gate oh yeah <laughs> i just i don't even remember much of it i just remember it it just it was like this is a scare a legitimately scary movie and i was fascinated by like why are these movies so scary like how can a movie affect you in that way and i ended up like buying a book called like the, i think it was called like the, the thrill of fear and it was like analyzing how things make people scared and that's awesome yeah and so i just started finding it fascinating how these movies can scare you Unfortunately, as an adult now, it's harder to find movies that scare me. But <laughs> but definitely when I was younger, I mean, they were very effective. When the the few that I could see. Hmm. What movie did you bring us today, Andrew, to uh, make Zach watch? Oh, so the movie was Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. <sighs> Love this movie. <laughs> uh, it is a masterpiece. I mean, it's... Uh, it, it really is that type of movie where people say it all the time. And a lot of the time, like, you're like, ah, what a cliche. It can't be that good. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, wow, it's like really that good. <laughs> One thing I notice is every time I watch that movie, I find something new. I mean, the movie is full of stuff. I mean, every single scene has so much stuff. There's constant symbolism throughout it. I mean, there's a million things to pick apart. And even after seeing it, like, probably 50 times, 100 times, I don't know, I found some new stuff just even today when we were watching it. Well, yeah, and it's it's so influential on cinema that I was picking up on stuff in other movies. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like Sam Loomis? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that joke. Well, it's yeah. not a joke. I guess it's a reference in Halloween. But so, Zach, what did you think of the movie we watched today? Well, I feel the exact same way after watching this as I did after we watched like The Thing, Halloween, all these horror movies that like I the only thing I knew about it was the pop culture things about it. I knew right. the re re the shower scene and <laughs> of course all that stuff, but like I'd never just seen the movie and like that's what I've appreciated appreciated about doing this podcast and everything, like Halloween and the Thing, they've become like not just my favorite horror movies, but one of my favorite movies altogether. And like, I feel the exact same way about Psycho. Like after watching it, yeah. like you said, it was cliche and stuff. But then when you watch, it, it's like, oh my god, this is really good. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's like really good. <laughs> it's a cliche because it's it it it's started true. it because like, everyone copied it and it became yeah. the cliche. But it was the it was like the precursor to all the well, cliches. Well, uh, I think that's a good place. We should probably, it feels like we've all got a lot to say. We should probably get ready to dive in here. Zach, can you give us a spoiler-filled summary? Yes, yes, I can. And how quick can you do it, sir? Let's let's find out. Are you ready? Oh, uh, let me, let me. Get my timer here, to... <laughs> you know, count it in. Right. You ready? Yep, yes, sir. All right, three, two, one, go. All right, we open up. Dope title sequence. We got an orchestra. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. All of a sudden, we're in Phoenix for some reason. Uh, <laughs> our main goal, our main girl, Marion, works 
she's a working girl, but also she's banging young Doc Loomis. That's pretty badass. <laughs> she works at some real estate place. I don't know. A cowboy walks in flexing about tax evasion or something. So she skips town with his money. Uh, she's hella sus every place she goes until she finds Bates Motel on a dark and stormy night because we're in a horror movie if you didn't know already. Uh, she meets monologuing Mor Norman who doesn't get along with his mom. Uh, Marion decides to take a bath in her own blood. Re, 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 she dead. Norman hides the body because Mama Bates does not like other ladies. Uh, but Inspector Gadget is on the case. It's <laughs> a little too close. And uh, re, 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 uh, Mama Bates slices him up too. Mama Bates does not like people. Uh, but my boy. Dr. Sam, I shot him six times Loomis, and, <laughs> and Marion's sister ain't scared. They going straight to Bates. And Marion, uh, Marion's sis, finds Mama Bates, re, 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 she was never alive. It was monologue and Norman the whole time, but Loomis, my boy, snatched him up right in time. And then we cut to monologue and psychiatrist giving the best damn why he done it speech of all time. And we end on Norm Norman Mama Bates being dot 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 psycho. Yeah. Wow. One minute, 41 seconds, which I believe is almost exactly the same as last week. Oh, yeah. You're setting, you're setting a precedent here, Zach. I mean, as long as I don't hit seven minutes like trick or treat. Right. <laughs> I love the fact that they never say the word psycho in the movie, but they keep hinting that they're about to say it. Mm -hmm. right. It's like it's she's so crazy. Oh, she's not this maniac. <laughs> she's not this maniac. She's not this. And you're thinking, oh, God, please don't say psycho. And they're like, no, no, we're not going to do that. This yeah. is a good movie. <laughs> I'm better than that. I promise. <laughs> That's my attempt at a Hitchcock. By the way. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, nice. Wow. Today we're going to make a film about Psycho. You really did study Hitchcock. <laughs> too much, too much. See, I knew you'd be perfect fit on the show because you're already doing impressions before me and Matt have. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's Psycho. Now we can hop into yeah. it. Let's get into in-depth, boys. Mm -hmm. So uh, we open with, like, one of the best title themes and title sequences ever. Saul Bass. <laughs> Saul Bass is the man, dude. I love Saul oh my Bass. God. I thought you were saying, it's all Bass. Uh, oh. <laughs> like, like, bass, and I was like, what? Saul Bass has done, he does, he did the title sequence for Vertigo, too, and or, yeah. or maybe it was oh. the dream, in the dream sequence. Like, he's just, he makes these really cool title sequences, and they're just, and that one is one of the best, I think. Yeah, you said it's an all-string orchestra. All strings. He didn't use any um, horns or any uh, percussion. It's just strings. I think it was partially to keep the budget down because this was like a low-budget movie. Yeah. And I think also it made it more uh, tense, obviously. You know, it's just these strings. That's it. Mm -hmm. What's the name of the composer again? Uh, Bernard Herman. Bernard Herman. Thank you. That was bothering me this whole time. And you know what his first movie, his very first score was? What? Citizen Kane. I mean, that's the way to kick it off. That's how that, that was his first. His, that, that was like, I hope I got that right. I'm pretty sure that was his first movie score with Citizen Kane. <laughs> if I'm wrong, I will I will double check that. But I, I he definitely scored that. So the guy's got a good track record. <laughs> like I said, salt, salt bass. I mean, salt bass. Now you got me saying it's that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Saul Bass. There's some really great books you can find that collect um, his uh, treatments for like storyboards too. His storyboards are like incredible. I would love to but see the storyboards for this film. He did do the storyboards for yes. this film for uh, a rather infamous sequence. Ooh, I wonder <laughs> which one that could be. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's just no telling. <laughs> but yeah, we open up on uh, Marion and Sam. Just, mm -hmm. uh, just after, you know, you know. <laughs> also, if you notice, Marion Crane, her last name is Crane. What is a crane? A bird. Oh shit! Oh, I mean, that's that's that is one of my favorite jokes in the whole movie. Is Marion Crane is about to get murdered and stuffed by Norman Bates, and she's sitting in a room full of dead birds. Yep. <laughs> that didn't 
That yeah, carried him. That's the that's a great bit. Like, that's the genius of this movie. There's so yeah. many layers. Can we watch more Hitchcock movies, please? Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I think the stuff to like about this movie is like so beyond its pop culture footprint. Oh, that's that's it's, that's exactly what I thought. Like right away, yeah. I was like, dude, this is so refreshing and so nice that we're starting and like the the plot so far has nothing to do with like norman bates or the killer at all like i feel like a lot of the slashers or like movies we've seen it's like people just living normal lives and then it gets wrapped up in this crazy like killer spree when the movies are good they're not about the slasher they're about like the people who are going to get targeted yeah and yeah you know, like, ha- Halloween is good because Laurie exists as a three-dimensional character, not because of Michael Myers, you yeah, know? And, like, this, like, I got so wrapped up in what was, like, her stealing the money and everything that had nothing to do with Norman Bates, so, like, I was invested before even all that stuff came up. Yeah, yep. well, and, and just, like, the, the vernacular of, like, horror movies, it is still... Like, at least for me, the first time I saw it, it was genuinely shocking when the shower scene comes about halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's one like, of the... It, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, one of the things was, this was one of the... It used to be the tradition of movies was that people would just come in whenever they wanted to. Yeah. And he had a rule that basically, if you didn't get there when the movie started, you were not admitted because they wanted to... Basically, the movie, people thought it was just going to be a movie about a suspense movie about missing money. They had no idea that it was going to go in this direction. Oh, and yeah, so, they they totally tried to hide it. They even went around buying copies of the book so people couldn't know the twist. Yeah. Yeah, that's because that's obviously as being pop culture. The two things I knew about this movie before going in was the shower scene and the fact that Norman Bates was the killer pretending to be his yeah. mom. Ooh, spoiler. Summarize <laughs> <laughs> it. Yeah, I, yeah, of spoiler. Uh, <laughs> 60 like, year old spoiler. <laughs> right. But I mean, like, even knowing all those, like we've talked about with like um Halloween and stuff, the movie is so much more than that that I didn't even realize. Like, even though it, like I forgot about the shower scene. Like we get halfway through the movie and I'm just enjoying the movie. I'm like, oh yeah, it's this movie that we're watching. Yeah, I've watched this movie at least three times, and every time it genuinely catches me a little off guard. Like, oh shit, right. Like Did you notice that when early. she did you notice that when she wakes up in the hotel room, she's wearing a white bra, and then when she steals the money, she's wearing a black bra? Yeah. <laughs> that's that not, was not that's an that accident. Shock attention to detail, man. Yep. Um, I actually read uh, a great book uh, all about the making of Psycho. I think it's literally just called like the making of Psycho. Um, uh, It's by the same gentleman who wrote the movie about the making of Psycho. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But um, like every little detail was so meticulously planned that like Hitchcock and Janet Lee spent like two weeks picking out like what her slip and her bra should look like. (laughs) knowing hitchcock that doesn't sound creepy at all (laughs) well yeah of course we should get this out of the way up top also like many of the directors we've talked about unfortunately it seems like hitchcock was probably a pretty bad person yes (laughs) (laughs) uh he tried to ruin uh vera miles career the woman who plays uh marion craig's sister in this film because she did him the disservice and tried to ruin his movie by getting pregnant that's right. Um, uh, and he uh, stalked and ruined the career of Tippi Hedren, the star of The Birds, because she wouldn't sleep with him. So, you know. There's a great movie <sighs> called The Girl with Sienna Miller and uh, Toby Hess. And it's about, like, the relationship between him and Tippi. And it is, it's, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it's, great. It's rough. Yeah, um, it's not good. It's tough because I want to cover more Chuck movies, but I, so I feel like we need to just, Sort of like, I, I want to cover more Kubrick. We've got to get it out there. Yep. Sometimes great artists are very bad people. Yeah. <laughs> so that's out of the way. Back to this really good movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I also... But, uh, it was also nice, like, opening up with her doing a bad thing, because that's also the other thing about some of these other movies. We've watched, like, the people that are getting slashed up are like all these just normal innocent people so it's nice like 
she's on the run and stuff and her anxiety was building up towards like Norman Bates and everything. So it was nice yeah. to like have other elements like of anxiety and like yeah. going on. And, and, and I really love that the movie is pretty expressly not about punishing her for her crimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The message of the movie is do it right, do it wrong. Someone could still get you. Like that's what makes it scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he didn't care about them. He didn't even know it was there. Yeah. You know, like that's great. Yeah. These were crimes of it. passion, not profit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I I really love the opening of this movie. I love their relationship. I wish we all still talked like Sam and and Janet Lee. <laughs> I like the uh, stumps. <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite. <laughs> Listen here, lady. I've got to tell you that. Uh... <laughs> and then they Why just, can't we all still talk like that? Then they just rub their faces against each other. <laughs> it's hard to make out and have monologues. So. <laughs> yep. And then we go to her work where the greatest cowboy character ever of all time is. Flex is about tax evasion. I mean, he. He also seems like a bad person, but I'm like, I would watch a whole fucking movie about this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I feel like in like modern horror movies, or at least like the ones that we've seen, it would like set him up to be one of the people that gets killed. But in like this one, it he just shows up and then the rest of yeah, the movie. Yeah, he's just he's he just background color. Yeah. Yeah, which I really like because I feel like th- that gets lost in a lot of movies that i see is like everything has to be connected to something in the movie it can't just be like something happens and then you don't have to think about it ever again yeah i thought about that too because like yeah there's there's this weird thing in horror movies where if someone does something like if they're just kind of a jerk it's almost like well they got to be punished they're gonna they're gonna die yeah (laughs) somehow like yeah they didn't do that yeah yeah there are effective ways to do that and unfortunately a lot of people don't always do it effectively so it's kind of nice when it's like nah he's just a really funny character actor in this one scene. Yeah. And this is where we get to see the, the, the director cameo is in the yes. uh, outside. He has one in every one of his movies, that iconic profile. <laughs> one of the things that he had to do was he used to do it later in the movies, but the problem is people were waiting so long in the theater to see him appear that it was distracting people. So he started doing <laughs> it earlier and earlier in the movie to get it out of the way. So that's why it happens fairly early in the movie. Yeah, that way they weren't watching for him, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, then we get her stealing the money and we get uh, what I was talking about with you can just watch this movie and see everybody stealing it. When she's in the car and her boss sees her, this is lifted almost shot for shot into Pulp Fiction when Bruce Willis runs into Marcellus Wallace. Oh, shit. My God, I didn't even think of that. Like, play that scene out in your mind. It is almost shot for shot, except wow. instead of walking away, Bruce Willis hits him with a car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my the, God. The, this movie is that influential. Wow, like, I didn't even you, think of that. And you I've just, seen it that many times. And you just tied it to Tarantino. <laughs> mind blown. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Hitch. I'm, I'm sure Tarantino has watched every Hitchcock movie. Oh yeah, well, and he he's known for uh, like Scorsese. You know, they really almost don't make their own movies. They just lift and like remix sequences yeah, from other ones for sure. <laughs> and that was like one of the first times I became aware of it. I think there used to be this website called like Who Do You Think You're Fooling dot com where they would just be like, "Here's what scene he's just doing shot for shot." Amazing. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's how iconic this movie is, you know, even like that. But that's also what makes this movie so good. Like you were talking about, Andrew, with like, yeah, what do people miss about this movie is taking the time to show her get seen by her boss. Yeah. Yeah. Like another movie would just wouldn't do that. It's it's and, and what I love what you were talking about how lean everything is with the story, the idea of not cutting doing a cutaway of everyone finding out that she stole the money that just it's just yeah. they, they get they get it out of the way really quick. Yeah, they just do it in voiceover while she's driving. You almost don't even know, like, is this something that is playing out and we're just hearing the audio? Or is this what she's like imagining must be happening? I, and I, I still don't know. I've always yeah. wondered about that. How much of it is her imagining it or is it really them talking? I don't know. Because it almost seems like she can hear them because like when it gets to like, 
oh, I guess she got away or whatever. She kind of starts to smile. Like, yeah. it's so good. Yeah, that, like, <laughs> that's what I said while we were watching it. I really liked how they just showed her driving with the audio instead of cutting back to them wondering where she is and, like, talking about it. Because it also, like, plays into her thoughts. And it's like you you get to indirectly see what there what's probably happening back in Tucson. But yeah. it has an added on of like, oh, she's thinking about it so much because she has anxiety and like guilt about what she did. So good. Oh, yeah. It, it's just good filmmaking. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what I want to know is what did you guys think of the scary cop? Yeah, I was going to say, then we get to the scariest part of yeah. the movie. You mean Police the, abuse. You mean the Terminator? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, he's real creepy. Mm-hmm. Do you know why they made him so creepy? There's actually a, a Hitchcock has a backstory to that. Really? So Hitchcock always had a fear of the police, and it stems back to a, something that happened to him when he was about five years old. So when he was like a little kid, his father gave him a note and said, take this to the police station and hand it to the police officer. And the police officer, he handed it to the police officer, and, the, and then suddenly the police officer locked him up in a jail cell by himself. Oh, he was five shit. years old. And then he looked at him and said, this is what we do with naughty little boys. Oh, my God. And Hitchcock said it was extremely traumatizing. And, it, and he said yeah. from then on, he always had a fear of the police. And so the police are always portrayed a lot of times in his movies as very menacing and scary. And this movie is like the epitome of that. Yeah, definitely. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why he shot it that way. Cause it's like this cop, obviously, he's not the killer, but he's one of the scariest characters oh, in the movie. He's scarier than Norman Bates. Let's Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, then uh she runs into my other favorite character in this movie, the man who I desperately want to sell me a car. California Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> Another character like that's just there for color. Just like this, just this world is like exists. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's he, so good. He doesn't have to come back later in the movie. He doesn't have to come back in the sequel. Yeah. He's just a good character for that scene. Yep. But it also does a good job of we spend enough time with him that we know like, oh, somebody wouldn't talk to him and said she bought a different car. Mm-hmm. That's how they all know she doesn't have her car. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we spend it's that thing that's missing from all the ripoffs. We spend enough time, mm-hmm. but just enough time, and then we move on. Yeah. And who would have it's thought so that good. she would have picked a license plate that said Norman F. Bates on it? <laughs> NF, NFB. I never even got that before. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm telling you, this movie just keeps, it just keeps giving. Wow. That's amazing. <sighs> then we get... To one of the finest like performances in all of cinema, in my opinion, Anthony Perkins. Oh my God, so good as Norman Bates. He's so good, so impossibly good in this movie. He appeared in the other three sequels, by the way. Yeah, he di- he directed Psycho Three. That's right. I haven't yeah. seen any of them, but I heard some of them were actually decent. Psycho Two is good. I have not seen the other two, but I hear Psycho Three is very weird. Apparently, there's okay. a lot of stuff with nuns and psychedelic imagery. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So, like, it's supposed to still be good, but just really weird. <laughs> like, that, that is a thing I will also say about Psycho 2, is to its credit, it does not try to be Psycho. Mm, that's it, tries, it tries to, like, be its own movie. It's, like, even in color and stuff. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Enjoyable. Not I'll as good as it. this, but enjoyable. I can't believe I, I've seen all the I've seen Psycho a billion times, and yet I've never seen the sequels. Yeah, Psycho Two, solid. Check okay, it, worth the checkout. Can't recommend the other ones because I haven't watched. Yeah. Them, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, back to back okay. to my boy Anthony Perkins. Oh, oh my, my god. god. Mm-hmm. Um, we do this kind of casting all the time now, but at the time it was really he was really cast against type. He had been like a teen pop star. He had had like a hit song. And he was just starting to kind of come up as an actor. So it would be like if now we cast like Harry Styles as a slasher killer, <laughs> like it's the, which we would do now because now it's a thing because oh, of yeah. Psycho. But like he was cast so against type and he's so good in this movie that it like ruined his career. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, like you said, like it's such a thing now, like that, that uh, Netflix show, You or whatever, like yeah. there's so many like 
k-pop edits of the killer in that like and it's because we cast these like weirdly charming likable guys even when they're like being creepy mm-hmm. but like all i could weirdly think was like oh if he did this now we'd cast him as batman and he'd be so good yeah. oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah, Batman should be weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was just, he played that so well. And he played, it felt like he played a completely different character with each person he interacted with, too. Yeah. Which was yes. so good. Well, and you can even tell, like, when he's clearly slipping into Mother. Yeah. In in scenes. And oh, yeah. Another, another influential thing I just thought about watching it this time. Uh, that's makes my favorite horror movie scream even better i never thought about when uh billy says we all go a little mad sometimes i thought that was oh just fun reference to like the ultimate proto slasher Mm. if you think about it him doing that line choice is a dead giveaway that there are two killers in scream because there's two killers in psycho oh (laughs) wow these movies are so good (laughs) But yeah, then he's just uh, real creepy to Marion. Mm-hmm. He tries so hard not to be. But <sighs> do you ever notice that he's really easygoing until you talk about his mother and then all yeah. of a sudden he switches? Mm-hmm. He's like, he's all happy-go-lucky. And then you say anything about his mother and he just gets mad. Yeah. Yeah. So good. He's... Uh, and apparently, like, Hitchcock was, like, super meticulous with these performances to the point where um, Janet Lee, who played Marion, said, like, um, we would rehearse it until we could hit our marks so perfect that I wasn't even acting anymore. So, like, I don't even know how hard he must have worked on this because he is right down to, like, when you guys said he weirdly struts upstairs. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's so good. His mannerisms, like, he always has his hands in his pockets and he walks really he, awkwardly. And he, it's just, he, d- he doesn't move his arms when he walks. No, you're right. It's yeah. so it's such a weird little thing that just makes you uncomfortable. And with uh, whenever he was like alone, just waiting at the motel, he was eating like candy corn and stuff and like kind of looking off distantly like like a kid would. Yeah, because in his mind, he still is. What's interesting is when he's eating, it's almost like he's eating the way a bird eats, yeah. which is weird because he's the one stuffing the birds, but he's kind of eating like he's pecking a little bit at his food. Like it's I don't know I'm not sure what that's what why why that is like why he was that way. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't there a thing that uh, the writer I believe said like him and Hitchcock and talking about it um, really saw the meta the birds as like the metaphor for Norman and like oh he just wants to get away but he's just stuck like the stuffed birds. Oh, like I think it was something like that. But damn, yeah, it's gonna be so good. Yeah. And then we come to what is its ultimately its biggest pop culture footprint, the shower scene. Mm-hmm. It's as good as people say. Yeah. Like <laughs> I uh when you when you guys mentioned the storyboards, I looked them up and I've been looking at them this whole time. Like well, very detailed. Yeah. Well, and that's led to one of the big debates over this movie of who really directed the shower scene. Because yeah. Saul Bass has always maintained, I not only storyboarded it, I was on the set the day of, and Hitchcock let me direct it. I remember that. That's been a point of contention because I think yeah. there's been, it's sort of like he's been saying that, but then other people are saying no. Some people oh, yeah, are saying I believe, yes. I, I think Janet Lee said, like, he didn't like direct it. Like, he was there and he would point to the storyboard and say, like, no, it needs to be more like that. But, but then there's also the thing that for years nobody knew. And it, Debatably, even Janet Lee, they did more shots with a body double. That's right. So, it was like a so nude body yeah. double. Yeah. So it could even be that he directed that part and Hitchcock directed Janet Lee because that's like the actual actor. Or, you know, or maybe Sawbass just thinks, like, motherfucker, I laid this whole thing out and he just pointed a camera and took the picture. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like, Saul Bass is that good. Like, he only made one movie, and it's not great. So, <laughs> which movie was that? Um, oh, I'm trying to think of what it's called. It's a weird killer ant movie. Oh, okay. It's like, I think it's called like Plan Four or something. Hmm. 
it's really it's visually it's really interesting of course it's him but it's like not a good movie (laughs) (laughs) did you notice that they never actually show the knife because they had actually had scenes where they had i guess they had taken like a body like a like a something they never actually show the knife go in yeah which that was a big point of contention with the censors i know because they thought they saw it going in or they yeah. they thought they saw nudity and they were like, hey, there's nudity in this. You got to cut it out. And he's like, and I think he just like resubmitted it as is. And they're like, oh, thanks for cutting it out. Yeah. Or something I think he, like that. He had to like show them the film reel and be like, no, there is not. Look at the frame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you people are ridiculous. <laughs> the murder's not an issue, but I mean, if we see one nipple, I mean, my oh, God, God forbid. <laughs> As opposed to like the the Gus Van Sant remake where you, you see her butthole, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that that psycho sequel slash remake I can say don't watch. We actually <laughs> watched that in our senior thesis class, and we did a whole like spent a whole week comparing how I mean, they and it was just like oh man why are we doing this i mean don't get me like it's fascinating that gus van sant did it like he took the blank check that was written for him post um goodwill hunting and said i want to do a shot for shot remake of psycho but it's 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 something you would do in film school as like an experiment he just did an experiment that cost like 20 million dollars one of the a mainstream theatrical release. One of the things they <laughs> added in the sequel that that when Norman Bates does that creepy thing where he opens oh, the hole yeah. in the wall, it's implied that he's basically like getting sexually aroused by that. Yeah, they the make imp- a little they weird take, sound. They take they take the implication out in the remake, and he just full on is 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 masturbating. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'm like, we don't need that. It, 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 it illustrates perfectly like why sometimes less is more. Exactly. It, it is so much creepier to be like, why is he just watching her than to be like, oh, because, you know, yeah. it. Like, yeah, it was creepier because you're like, what is he doing? Like, yeah. is he going to yeah. go like to the house and like, you know, toss one off? Like, what is he doing? And that's creepier to me because you don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, that's yeah. we talked about this last week after you we watched uh, High Tension, how that twist didn't do it for me because once i saw it i immediately was like okay i get it and that's the same thing here it's like you don't get it right away you have to like make the connections on your own and like try to figure it out which is so much better yeah but then and then we get the meticulous scene of the cleanup is so good no dialogue just silently like and he's such a good actor that he like maintains the level of like this is how Norman Bates moves the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. <laughs> and there's a suspense in a way you're almost like as an audience member like hoping he doesn't get caught, even though you want him to get caught. You don't really want him to. You're right. like, I hope he doesn't get caught. It's the first time you're rooting for Dracula instead of against them. Yes, yeah. like it's so good <laughs> i love that scene where i was cracking up when 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 the when he pushes the car into the water oh yeah it takes the extra beat for it to sink and he's like oh shit and then it starts to sing he's like oh <laughs> but then we get into the mystery aspect of it even though we know who the killer is uh the the man that marion stole all the money from is hunting hunting her down with a private detective that i believe you refer to as inspector gadget yeah, I couldn't remember his name, so I just called him Inspector Gadget. I like it. So Inspector Balsam, Gadget. Uh, <laughs> who was also in Cape Fear. Is he? Yep. And I think he played a detective in that. <laughs> they really cool. were going for Psycho. <laughs> yeah, he, he wanted to get as many people from Psycho as possible. All the Hitchcock acolytes, right? But yeah, um, I think that guy's great, though. I love me a good character actor. He's so good in this. Yeah, he he did a good job of like portraying. Oh, I'm just your pal, Norman. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But also, like, I'm hella suspecting you right now. Yeah. That scene was really tense because I what I love is that where he's he's he you can totally tell that he's got a smile on his face and he knows that Norman is lying to him and you're seeing Norman just he starts stuttering. He starts, his story keeps changing mm-hmm. and it's just this really tense, like, Oh, he's onto him and he knows. It's just like, Oh, this is it, great. 
and we know like oh no if he goes and tries to talk to Ma. <laughs> yeah it, his his death in this movie is so good like to me yeah. that actually scared me even more than the shower scene something about yeah. that angle that high angle scared the crap out of me when i first saw it well you know how they get that right how, how they the, got the angle yeah it's no. the same way they, they shot the falling sequences in vertigo they put him in um like a special rig that holds you up and will just tilt you back so it looks like you're falling and oh, they did nice. a, a rear projection behind him they shot beforehand the camera moving down the stairs so that it would look like the floor was rising up to meet him. Oh, nice. Which is how they also do like the falling sequences in Vertigo when they want it to feel like you're falling because they can't just throw the actors off buildings. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> they can't do that? Apparently not. Yeah. You know. Uh, and it, but I, I, I love like the otherworldliness that links to it, you know? Yeah. And I think, Andrew, you've explained to me that camera move before, how it's like you're moving the camera and like changing the zoom like you're zooming in or out while you're pulling back yeah like the they got you they call it like the zolly or the zoom dolly yeah yeah the vertigo shot the jaws shot but there's another movie that's just this but with a shark it's jaws <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah now everybody's on to him and they come and get him and one of like the best reveals ever <laughs> mm-hmm yeah young doc loomis and marion's sister and yeah him. i mean that is the fan theory like i believe i told you before a lot of people believe because it's sam loomis in halloween that he dedicated his life to catching criminals after his oh, lover was killed it, it became canon to me the second he said loomis yeah. Yeah. Well, but it would work because then it explains why he's a terrible psychiatrist that just automatically thinks that anyone with mental illness is evil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that psychiatrist. Yeah. I, okay. The one flaw in this movie, I do not like the scene with the psychiatrist. It goes on for too long and explains really? too much. Yeah. I loved I, it. I think the guy is great, but like, I do not need every single detail of like how, well, frankly, how DID doesn't work, but how it does work in this world. Mm. <laughs> See, I feel like I've seen so many of those monologues now explaining the, the killer and why he done it sort of thing. And I felt like that was one of the better versions of that. It is. Well, you know who else hated it, though, was Alfred Hitchcock. When they submitted really? the, the script to the censors, that wasn't as long. It was more like, what I think would work better, which is like, well, mother has taken over his body and you know, he's crazy. And then they just cut to him in the cell. Um, but, uh, in the earth, when they submitted the script to the censors, the censors said like, well, but Hayes code, like the villain has to like be punished. The villain can't be this sympathetic. It looks like they just got away with it. So they added into the script, all the stuff about like, Oh, he's going to go away for a long time. He's clearly very sick. That's why he gets to get, you know, he doesn't get killed or, or severely punished at the end of this movie. And they were like, okay, that that's enough then. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I guess too, like how we talked on like, uh, silence of the lambs, how that whole thing, yeah. and I guess in this, when that one guy was like, Oh, so, he, so he's, he's a transvestite? Yeah, and, that, and then the psychiatrist is like, no, and then explains right. that's not it, right. which is nice. That's kind of nice, but no. it does still, as we talked about with Science of the Lambs, it does still play into the, a man in a dress, oh my lord, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. you know. Uh, it's, it's a trope that's not great about, like, the idea of a man doing anything feminine is inherently scary, you know, Yeah, but... But at least they try in this one, which is pretty progressive for the time. Not to mention the fact that years later, after he passed away, um, it came out that Anthony Perkins was actually gay. Mm. Yeah. So I, I'm sure perhaps maybe he had some things to say about it. And according to people that knew him and said it actually really informed the way he played the character, because a lot of the things about Norman were at the time gay stereotypes that we just don't have as much now, you know, like... He likes to be alone. He spends too much time with his mother. He, he all he's you know cooks. He he has artistic hobbies, stuff that we don't think of as stereotypes now, but at the time were that apparently like for him were like oh, 
I know exactly how to play this. Mm. You know, that's which interesting. Is really fascinating. That's interesting you bring that up because Hitchcock has actually had that trope before in uh, Rope and yes. uh, Strangers on a Train. Especially in Rope. Those two are fucking man. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I mean, they're, I mean, it's based on a true story about two gay men who killed yeah. somebody. And, and the, the movie really like plays up. Oh, it hammers home that they are a couple and they just can't say it on camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, right. yeah, it, it's interesting that, yeah, the, the, these are definitely older movies. So they, you know, they, they had a ways to go, but they yeah. were, they were trying, I guess. Yes. Yeah. They're trying more than most movies do now. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. Um, it's it's interesting that like they actually tried harder in this than like Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Hmm. I mean they try harder in this than they do in uh, spoilers for this movie that we may or may not ever cover, but Insidious 2, the killer is a man in a, who cross-dresses. And they just say like, "Oh, of course he was evil. He cross-dressed." We should have known. Like that is the entirety of the twist. <laughs> and you know what? This, 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 I just realized sleepaway camp is probably. It's part, probably yeah, influenced by this too. Yeah. From, um, it's also probably the most problematic example. Oh, absolutely. No, it's a very problematic movie. It's not a good movie by any means, but it's I, a really fun movie. But yeah. for everything except for the twist. It's yeah, the really twist. Fun. I was like, wow, this movie would probably not work today or it would definitely not yeah. work today. Yeah. Which is interesting because I, I do think there is room for like, like we talked about on the Candyman episode, like there's room for killers who are from marginalized communities. The issue is when you tie it so directly to it. Yeah. Um, and this movie actually does a pretty good job of distancing itself from that by saying like Norman Bates wasn't gay, Norman Bates wasn't a crossdresser, Norman Bates was just a killer. Yeah. He wasn't, Which is more than most horror movies do. Yeah, he wasn't trying to portray himself as a woman. He, in his mind, he was his mom, and like that yeah. had nothing to do yeah. with it. It's a totally separate. It's an, it's so offensive to an entirely different group of people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, if I didn't consume any art that was problematic, I wouldn't consume any art. So, <laughs> and I love this movie. So, but yeah. Yeah, um, in terms of behind-the-scenes stuff for this movie, there's so much. Oh, yeah. That, like, I almost feel like we, we covered a lot of it, actually, within the body of this episode, but... I Do you guys know like, what this is based on? Ed Gein. Ed Gein. Yeah. Very loosely based. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know who that is. Uh, Ed Gein was the, the person who was, like, the first person, at least in America, to be termed a serial killer. Oh. Um, he killed that we know of uh, two women um, and he was obsessed with his mother mm. so and he, he liked taxidermy things and he was a grave robber which all goes on to obviously very greatly influence Norman Bates who's all of those things yeah. he also liked to use people's skin to like make lampshades and like he was a yeah. very very twisted killer yeah uh, although, like, there's a lot of debate about some of that stuff now, just oh. because, um, you know, they point to, like, he was clearly, like, very mentally ill, and, like, grave robbing isn't great, but he really did only kill two people, and um, there's even debate, because a lot of it came out like, oh, he likes to build, this influence Silence of the Lambs, he likes to build lady suits out of skin. Uh. Except that the cops had him locked in a room for eight hours and may or may not have been beating him so that when they turned back on the recorder, they said, do you like to dress up as a woman? And he said, yes. Uh, so it's like one of those things where it's like, he probably never did. But uh, <laughs> <sighs> police are scary. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> Hitchcock was on to something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He had a bunch of movies like that where the police were just like, I think the wrong man is probably with Vera Miles, by the way. Yeah. About a guy who's wrongly accused and it's about the legal system and the it's, it's pretty amazing. And that one's actually based on a true story as well. Is it really? I didn't know that. Yeah. In fact, that one, instead of doing the cameo, he introduces the movie and he says, good evening. Normally I make a cameo, but today I'm going to talk about this is a true story. And it, it, huh. you know, and, and, and then, and then the movie happens. Damn. Yeah. Gotta look that up. <laughs> Wrong man. That's a great movie. All right. 
<laughs> what other behind the scenes for Psycho? Oh yeah. Um, I think the the origins of this movie are really fascinating, from the Ed Geenness to Hitchcock being sent a copy of the book and just being like, "This will be my next movie." To the point where he takes huge budget cuts to get it approved because it's so violent, and he uses the TV crew instead of a film crew from uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents to make it. And the marketing is probably the best thing about this movie, maybe even more than the movie itself. Uh, Andrew, have you seen the, the old trailer for it? Oh, yeah, where he takes oh. you on a tour of the Bates Motel. Yes. and it, Oh, it's, it's incredible. It's so William Castle, which is the other thing about this movie that you and I were talking about just before we started recording, which is he literally said, I'm just going to rip off this guy who's been ripping me off for years. Yep. He said, what if I were to, he goes, I'm going to, all these people are making these B movies. What would happen if a really good filmmaker made a good B movie? Yeah. Shoot a boom B movie, like an A movie and you'll have a hit. Yep. Cause, um, I think he like literally like, he like actually like really liked William Castle movies, but he thought they were bad. Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of cool in the same way that like now, like apparently Christopher Nolan is like a huge Michael Bay fan. Really? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. He like loves he's like they're bad, but I love Michael Bay movies. Fascinating. So I, I would no love to see like Christopher Nolan make a Michael Bay movie. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that's essentially what he was doing and that's so cool to me. I think the budget for this movie was like 800,000 or something. Yeah, and even he, back then that was cheap. And he had originally asked for closer to to like a million, which is pretty standard for like a Hitchcock film at the time. Yeah. And they just said, there's no chance because we don't know if we're going to be able to release it. Like, because the subject matter was so new and so dark and the book had been so controversial. But I watch it, it, Zach and listeners, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend after this podcast going and looking up the trailer for Psycho where he will be like, oh, he knew he was going to make like one of the greatest movies of all time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like the way he talks about the, without talking about the twist is he's just like, yes, now I'm going to dunk on you bitches. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he actually did something really clever too. Cause what he did was he actually shows a clip when he, he goes, he goes into the shower and he goes, this is, and he pulls the curtain back and it cuts to a different actress. I think it might've even been Vera miles screaming yeah, because they didn't want to give away that Janet Lee is the one that dies. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's great because he literally just walks through the house and he's like, and he's like, a murder will occur on these stairs, a murder will occur in the shower, and you will never see them coming because I'm Alfred fucking Hitchcock. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's so great, dude. Like, this is one of those movies, which is which is the reason why we have to watch the movie and then record the podcast right away. Cause I just want to know more so much. It's hard not to like just start looking up stuff right away. Oh yeah, yes. Well, like I said before, there's a fantastic book. Let me look up the name of it here to plug my source. Oh, it's called Alfred Hitchcock and the Making of Psycho by Stephen Rebello. I highly, highly read Oh, I think I've actually read that. Yeah, it's it's a pretty quick read. It's only like 200 pages, and it's absolutely fascinating. What was it called? Uh, Alfred Hitchcock and the Making of Psycho. Um, the audiobook is excellent, so... <laughs> I know what I'm listening to while I draw. <laughs> There's also a deep dive that they make. Uh, yes, I, that podcast is also good. I, it 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 was like almost too much, but it was a. I I walked away going, wow. It's um, is it the people from Wondery or something is the name yes. of the channel? I think his right? name is yeah. Matt Ra- Matt Ramsey. I think yeah, is the it's, it's just called like the Making of Psycho, I think. And they have a couple different. They have that. They have The Exorcist, Star Wars, and I think Jaws. Oh, nice. They're all really good. Yeah. I highly recommend because this movie is so interesting. Yeah, seriously. Oh, you know what they you know what they used for because it's in black and white, you know what oh, they used yes. for for the blood, they used uh chocolate syrup. Oh yeah, I knew Hitch- that one. Yeah. yeah Hitchcock yeah. knew it looked better on camera. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean the shower scene, real quick, took I think um three days to film. They had to construct a special bathroom set where you could remove the walls so that they could shoot from different angles while still having the whole bathroom in the shop, which is just nuts to me. Hmm. Like, 
they had to use a special shower head, I think, because they had to shoot because yeah. they were shooting right into the shower head. Yeah, it was it's missing like the center so that it makes a cone around the camera or something, right? I think so, yeah. It's yeah. Like there's they had like a special way of doing it. Yeah, it's that crazy thing of like knowing that they had no money to do it the way they normally would, they had to come up with all these interesting ways so they could get it done as quickly and efficiently as possible. And I think the movie's better for it. Yeah. I think I think also a lot of his movies tend to be lit really bright because they, you know, they want everything glamorous because they were using the television crew and they were on a low budget. I feel like it almost made the movie better looking because they they didn't really overlight it. Everything's very contrasty and it's just real kind of, you know, right in your face cinematography. And I just think that that helps the movie. I mean, this movie is is so much worse than color. Like, I can't even imagine. You know what I mean? I can imagine it with the remake. (laughs) But yeah, no, that's a whole other set of issues. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, it, it, the movie works way better in black and white. Yeah, I think uh, I think that does it for Psycho, guys. Yeah, I think yeah. this is a, a super fascinating talk. Thank you so much for coming on to chat with us, Andrew. Oh, thank oh. you for having me. This is great. I'm having Anytime, a blast. Man. Yeah. Oh, before we wrap up, uh, other than behind the scenes, what was like critical reception? What did people think like when it came out? Um, controversial but beloved. Mm. Um, I think it did pretty well, but I mean, it had its detractors because of the level of violence. But most people responded pretty well to it, and it it made a shit ton of money. So yeah, because I <laughs> I assume this like impacted cinema and pop culture so much, like at the time, even. Well, yeah, and it's the type of movie that comes out at exactly the right point that the next generation of directors who are just going into college all go and see it, mm. and their goal becomes, I want to make the next Psycho. Yeah. Did you ever hear about that? There was a, one of the responses was he got an angry letter from a parent saying, oh, my daughter couldn't take a bath after seeing Diabolique, which is a whole other movie. Um, about, there's like a murder in a bathtub, and, he, and, she, and she said, and now after seeing Psycho, she won't take a shower. And he wrote her back saying, send her to the dry cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was famous for his wit because um, some of the uh, after the movie, someone committed a murder. And the last thing they had done before they murdered someone was gone and seen Psycho. Oh, no. Um, so people were immediately like, Mr. Hitchcock, you have to take responsibility for this. You owe these people an apology. And he talked to the police and got different information. He said, what I will say is, right before the murder, he drank chocolate milk, and I, for one, am going to condemn the milk lobby and chocolate. <laughs> Clearly, that was what did this. If you're looking for something to blame, let's blame the sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just the ultimate fantastic, like, fuck you, it's a movie response. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Andrew. And thank, thank you, you. Thank you, Matt, for like not only just Psycho, but all the movies that you've made me seeing. Cause like I feel super inspired and just like, man, I want to make cool stuff after watching. Let's this. go make art, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. But yeah. Let's, uh, let's go. In the words of Lloyd Kaufman, let's go make some art. <laughs> Hell yeah. The guy from Trauma. <laughs> all right. Uh, Andrew, Kaufman. I know you're not big on social media or anything but is there anything you want to plug or shout out or i don't have much to plug um i do uh choir music from time to time uh sometimes i'll do some uh, virtual choir stuff i guess i can't really promote it because it's not out yet but uh yeah well andrew check it mr humble andrew uh didn't mention his intro he's in uh angel city corral who's on america's got talent that's That's awesome Yeah, check us out on uh, YouTube. You can a uh, ACC AGT. Yeah, we have uh, we have a few performances on there. So that that that, yeah, check it out. Yeah, I've I've seen uh, them live before, and whenever Andrew has a solo, he kills it. So check it out. Thanks, man. So Matt, where can everybody find you? Oh, well, you can find me on just about everything as I draw paintings, or you can find me on Twitch and come hang out with me while I'm doodling stuff probably for this episode at uh twitch.tv backslash i draw painting just drop the s you can also find me on facebook at matt mears that's my artist page where can everybody find you zach just at zach shirk on instagram and on that note he was flirting with you he must have seen my wedding ring <laughs> <laughs> Bye. bye, bye.
As the Vox fades, we thank you for listening to this bizarre journey into cinema. If your morbid curiosities hunger for more, you may summon our horror bros at MacMakeZack.com, on Twitter and Instagram at MacMakeZack, or if you dare, say George Lucas three times into a mirror for a visit from our phantom menaces. You may now return to your mortal plane of existence. Until next week, as Matt makes Zack sit through another chilling apparition. Mwah! <laughs>